0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keen on, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello everybody, it is September the 17th, 2023, a Sunday on a beautiful call. Uh, fall afternoon in San Francisco and what better to do on a fall afternoon than read a novel um, and who better to talk about novels than my old friend Bethan Patrick she has become a regular on the show last week uh, she was telling us about eight great nonfiction reads for the fall and today we're talking about eight great novels uh, that are about to come out. Uh, Bethann I know that uh, last week we talked about uh, Wifedom and George Orwell, and there's one novel on this list that uh, it seems particularly intriguing. I'm really looking forward to reading it. Julia, uh, tell us about this book and why it's so interesting from your point of view.
1: Well, there has not yet been a retelling of 1984, and now that it's out of copyright, uh, we can see that there are probably going to be many of them. But I'm really delighted that Sandra Newman, who is a wonderful feminist novelist who has written quite a few terrific books, like The Heavens and The Men, um, very interesting, and so she's got her version of 1984 narrated by Winston Smith's lover, Julia, and I really recommend this. And I just want to say right up front, this would make an amazing book club, double feature. And if you want to make it a triple feature, you can watch the 1984 version of 1984 with William Hurt. And uh, this is a book that can tell the answers to a couple of questions. For instance, did you ever wonder why Julia was attracted to Winston? And did you ever wonder how Julia had gotten so high up in the hierarchy well this actually is a book that was sanctioned by Orwell's estate and so it had been looking for an author for a 1984 new version for a while and so Richard Blair Orwell's son uh, actually said He approved of Newman for this. And so this is something that gets under the skin of the original story and keeps a lot of it. So if you're a huge fan of 1984 by George Orwell, you're going to see all of the things that you love. They're not left out, but you're also going to see some new motivation. You're going to understand Julia a little bit better. And one of the things, Andrew, that I love about this book is that it is a book about the demands that we all put on ourselves and the questions we all have to ask ourselves about what we would do if we lived in a dystopian, fascistic society. What, how would we end up? How long would we be able to get by before we decided we needed to restore our own moral compass?
0: Uh, you mentioned the, Ander, the Anna Funder book, Wifedom. Mm-hmm. I I think it's an excellent book. I, I read it a couple of weeks too. ago. And um, it certainly had an impact on the way I think about Orwell, uh, particularly, of course, in terms of how he treated his wife or didn't treat his wife.
1: Right.
0: Is, is there anything in Julia on that? Does it affect how most People who like Orwell, and I think the majority of people love Orwell, uh, particularly 1984, does it impact the way we think about the book and Orwell as a man, or Winston Smith, uh, who in many ways is a stand-in, I think. That's right.
1: For for Eric Blair, um, George Orwell's real name. I think it does. I think it shows that um, so many men underestimate women's ability Not just to withstand really, really tough times, but also men misunderstand women's ability to actually use what men think about them to their advantage. And that's what I think uh, Sandra Newman does really well in this book is to show that Julia wasn't simply, you know, the, I I think there's something in 1984 where Winston talks about, you know, how she's all business up front and party, you know, on the bottom or kind of that kind of thing. And in this book, you realize that there's a lot, more going on in Julia's head than uh, Winston gave her credit for.
0: In the Anna Funder book on wifedom, she picks on, or she, 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 she's particularly intrigued by Orwell's Burmese background, his Burmese mother, or half-Burmese mm-hmm. mother, and his own experiences in Burma seeing them as shaping maybe not so much his life, but certainly his attitude to women. Uh, another of your novels also uh, goes back to Southeast yes. Asia, to another distinguished writer, uh, W. Somerset Maugham, and his sojourn in, in Malaysia, The House of Doors. This I have to admit I hadn't heard of this book, but it seems particularly interesting. It's long-listed for um, the Booker Prize. It's already out in the U.K., and it's out yes. in the U.S. In,
1: uh, in in October. This is just... A terrific historical novel. And if I may say, Andrew, many historical novels leave me cold because they focus more on, you know, the dresses, the costumes, the uh, artifacts and all of that sort of thing. Tan Tuan Eng, who is, as you mentioned, long listed with this book for the Booker Prize, goes beneath all of that, but he does it in a very interesting way. So This is based on Somerset Maugham's 1920s uh, short story, The Letter. And that short story itself is based on a real-life scandal that happened in the British expatriate community in Malaysia. Uh, And it was about an affair, and it was about gossip and rumors. And Surprise,
0: surprise.
1: Surprise, surprise. And so this is a book about... Mom writing the story. It's a book about mom befriending um, a woman who tells him a lot about this community. But it is not a book that's so much itself about sexuality and eroticism and what happened in the scandal. It's a book about repression. And in that way, now I don't want to say that um, Tan is. Kazuo Ishiguro. OK, this is it. But it does have a little bit of a feeling of remains of the day in terms of the fact that there are people who are deliberately holding back information because of their stiff upper lip reserve. And so here's the point for the House of um that the house of many doors, Uh, sorry, I'm getting the title wrong. The house of doors by Tan Tuan Eng. Thank you for putting that up again, Andrew. So here's the point. It's about the repression itself. And so it's a very mannered book. It's a book that's written in extremely genteel high style. And that is the point Tan is trying to say, here was a community away from home in this equatorial you know, place in the Pacific ocean. And they were trying to be more British than the British. They were trying to be more repressed than they could possibly be. So he's using the language to heighten that sense of unreality. And the fact that people were trying to keep masks on. They didn't want to let them slip because if they let them slip, everything would fall apart. And in a colonial society like this, if everything falls apart, there can be a lot of trauma for a lot of people, not just for the people who are the colonizers.
0: I think this is why I'm guessing, uh, uh, Bethan, but correct me if I'm wrong. You don't like historical novels because they're all about the mask. Yeah. The House of um, Doors is about dropping the mask. You, you talk about the mannered writing. Somerset yes. Mourn was... I'm no Morn expert, but he always struck me as a somewhat of a mannered writer. How does Morn come out of this? Does he come out as as battered as Orwell came out of wifedom?
1: Uh, Maybe not quite as battered, but certainly he's no hero. He comes out as someone who was also terribly repressed and someone who was not above using, you, you know, One of the things we've been talking about in the past couple of years in the literary community is what happens when people take someone else's story and use it for literary art. And this is what Tan is looking at. Here is Somerset and saying, oh, my God, great story, this scandal. Let me write about it and, you know, get some fame and fortune for myself. But isn't Isn't Tan doing
0: the same thing?
1: Yes, exactly. And all writers,
0: uh, for better or worse, have to do that. Mm-hmm. to get material well sticking I, that that i have to admit this sounds like a particularly good novel interesting it one is. um sticking on both the theme of women and southeast asia but coming a little bit more up to date uh, absolution by uh, alice mcdermott a very well-known writer winner of the national book award uh has a new novel out on women's lives on the margin of the Vietnam War. Lots of books. Too many novels, I think, have been written about the Vietnam War. Why is this interesting and new?
1: Well, number one, I would say if there's any war that's been too much written about, it is World War II. (laughs) So I think that... Fair
0: point.
1: Yeah, right. Alice McDermott is moving to Vietnam and it starts in 1963, very, very early in the Indochine you know, conflict and uh, very early in the American involvement. So you start at uh, the Saigon embassy, and you start with a young woman um, who is from a working class background, and she's married a naval officer, and he's there, I believe, as the attaché, and at a garden party to welcome new members of the community, the expatriate community, just like in Tan Twan Eng's book she meets another woman who is very um, upper-class American and has a bit of a rebellious streak. And this is quite interesting because they are going to wind up really affecting each other's lives. And one of the things I wonder if readers truly understand about Alice McDermott sometimes, Andrew, is if they see how radical her agenda against Roman Catholicism and its effect on American morals and mores, if you will. So she starts the novel and wants to look at American perfidy in Vietnam on many levels. But the reason she uses this focus of these women and what's happening to them, and the older woman has a young girl, and it's no coincidence that in the first scene, that girl is clutching a Barbie doll. We've been talking about Barbie a lot this summer, of course, in the U S
0: we've done a number of shows on Barbie.
1: That's right. And in this book, there is a character who is at one point referred to as Saigon Barbie. She is a seamstress, an incredibly talented (sighs) seamstress who is taken under the wing of these women. And, the book is really about what it means to be a white savior. Now, there are a lot of layers to this because Alice McDermott is a genius. And I would say that this is one of her finest novels. I am a big Alice McDermott stan, and I don't say that lightly. She is looking at people in the margins and how their lives intersect with those who are in power. But when it's from... Alice McDermott on the margins doesn't necessarily just mean people of color. It means people of lower socioeconomic status. It means people who do not have um, the ability to navigate, you know, a certain... Level of society. It means LGBTQ people. And this book, uh, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. In fact, I know one review said, don't even read the jacket copy, just go right into absolution. And I thought that is actually a good recommendation for this book. It's it's just terrific. Very that should
0: very be the, the blurb on the front from um Bethan Padrick. Go right into absolution
1: exactly there you oh, go <laughs> on, on
0: every front get absolved um this is a book as you say a, about women about people on the margins with a very concrete background uh, the fourth book on your list the vast the wild seemed to touch on this but it's a little bit more abstract i hadn't uh i hadn't been familiar with this book tell us about this um, it's about uh, a, a servant girl escaping and her her story her adventures
1: it, this is a really unusual book, and I can say right now that I loved it because my review of it came out last week or the week before. And so that's public, okay? Where did it um, come out? It, it uh, came out September 8th, I believe. It oh, it in came the LA, LA times? times? Yeah, it came out yeah. in the LA Times. And, uh, you know, when a character's name is Lamentations, you know she's in for a tough ride. So this is a very young woman who is basically a, uh, she's a servant to a minister and his wife in London. And they bring her in from an orphanage when she's very, very small. She's a toddler. And for a while they call her Zed. So Lamentations, Zed, I mean, Zed is the name of their dead pet monkey. They don't give her a lot of respect. Okay. At a certain point, they decide, the the minister is Protestant, that they are going to set off for the New World with a group of people on a ship. And it turns out that they are going along with the people who are colonizing or settling, if you will, Jamestown, Virginia. And many of us know that Jamestown was a very terrible settlement because We don't know everything that happened there, but certainly some kind of disease, probably smallpox hit, and it also caused a lot of famine and uh, the the whole settlement fell apart. So we start out the book with Lamentations having managed to escape. And she's got a few things with her. She's managed to catch an ax and a knife and a pewter cup for drinking. Just a few things, a couple of blankets. And it's a survival tale. It's a journey in the woods. And I thought it was really, really beautiful and profound. And my colleague Ron Charles said it was beautiful and profound, and he was waiting to be swept away, but he really disliked it. And he got kind of snarky about it and said, this seems like a... Uh, you know, it's a young woman who's ready to graduate from Reed College with a double major in ecofeminism and Native studies, and I want you to mean say the writer
0: rather than the, the person.
1: That's right. Uh, well, no, no, he said Lamentations seems like that. Oh, not I see. Ron Groff, uh, and I disagree with that, and I don't normally. I, I'm not going to say that Ron misread the book or anything like that, but I want to point out that as a woman. I read the book as an incredibly exciting journey of someone making her way through the wilderness and all kinds of weather in basically, she's going a little Northwest from Jamestown and Sometimes she does incredible things, fashions herself a sail for a little, you know, craft out of one of her blankets. Sometimes she finds, you know, a honeycomb and is able to get some sweetness and some energy. Sometimes she starves for days and days and weeks and weeks. Sometimes she's ill or injured. I couldn't put it down i loved well, there
0: you have it ron charles if you're watching you're wrong and Bethany's is right about <laughs> this book at least um
1: that's right the
0: the vast the wilds we'll have to get ron on to give his opinion we're gonna take a short <laughs> break now we're four books in four novels in we've got four more we're just going to remind everyone that our very generous sponsor liberties a quarterly journal of culture and politics is a very good compliment to all books many of americas and the world's most distinguished writers are featured in liberties we're gonna have a short uh, ad for liberties and then we'll be back with Bethan padrick to talk about her other four novels that she is very excited about for the full season beyond the news the noise there is nuance insight liberties it's not just a journal of ideas it's a meteor of intelligent substance it's the place to be for engaged citizens politics opinion substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought, a quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. We are back with my friend uh, Bethan Patrick, the Critic of the Los Angeles Times to so talk about eight novels that she's particularly excited about. She's put her cards on the table in some way. She says she's not a big fan of historical novels, but there are a number of books uh, in this list, uh, Bethan, which, if not historical, are contemporary history. Uh, Devil so cool. Makes Three by Ben Fountain about Haiti in 1991. An interesting book, certainly an interesting period. Uh, uh, Fountain wrote Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. What is this book about?
1: Uh, First of all, I'm going to come right out and say it. This is the great thriller of the fall. If you love thrillers, yes, it's historical, but it is not simply, you know, uh, it's not just literary fiction or historical fiction. It really is a thriller about what happened right after Aristide was deposed in
0: 1991
1: our man in Haiti our man in Haiti that's right and uh, so you've got a whole bunch of different Americans so one guy who runs a scuba business a scuba you know expedition business so things are really bad for him in this the wake of this who, and he and his Haitian partner uh, are trying to figure out how to make money. So they turn to this um, shipwrecked um, galleon that might have some gold in it that a rich guy, you know, tells them about. Meanwhile, his partner Alex is her name has an undercover CIA agent girlfriend, and she's helping to smuggle arms into the country. So. Um, there are all these people who have different kinds of involvements with the United States and with Haiti, and they wind up, you know, in a drug plot, and they're arrested as terrorists and thrown into jail, and all kinds of stuff is happening. But uh, Ben Fountain is the kind of writer, and you know, if you read Billy Lynn's halftime walk, he's able to keep a lot of balls in the air at the same time. One of the things I loved about Billy Lynn is that this is taking a place it, it, it's taking place during that long halftime walk. And there's so many ideas and problems that are coming up in this short length of time. It's an entire novel. Same thing here. You know, there's not a whole lot of time being taken up. It is a thriller. It is fast paced in time as well as in action, but he is trying to look at the good that can be done and the incredible bad that can be done when any government gets involved with another government and especially with poor beleaguered Haiti. And when I say poor, I'm not talking about the poverty and underserved um, populations. I'm talking about just the fact that as uh, that it has had so many governments and so many different systems over the years. Uh, I think this is an amazing read, and I think it's a read that will open people's eyes to how how meddlesome, um, the U S, uh, military and government can be if your eyes weren't open to it already by Alice McDermott.
0: So this is a book, a, a novel about the public space, about yes. Haiti in 1991, politics, American involvement. Uh, another book focuses not so much on the public, but the private, which is a more familiar, I guess, uh, traditional uh area for for literature Uh, family meal by brian washington is is that a fair summary uh family meals are of course private affairs
1: well yes and no andrew because of course It is called Family Meal, and Brian Washington is talking about families, but his families are redefined families. He is um, talking about the kinds of families that especially gay men. This happens to be mostly about gay men. It's not because Brian Washington is excluding anyone else in the LGBTQ community. It's because this is what he's writing about and this is what he knows. And so he is back in Houston. He's got um, a character who was in his book Memorial. Um, The character's lover has died. And so he's come back to Houston and it's gay enclave that he lives in, which is, a lot of black and Latina men. Um, And so they're talking about family, the families you choose, but they're also talking about the families they come from. So for example, one of the lines that I found really character says, my family talks between acceptance, allowance, and understanding. Also just being, sometimes they overlap and usually they don't. So Washington writes a lot about how we find the spaces where we can truly be ourselves. And the thing about family meal and about the idea of the mealtime is that Washington is a brilliant food writer. He could be, and he has, he's written about food for some incredible publications. And he also actually, I've interviewed him for the LA Times. He also actually does have big family meals for his friends and lovers and their contemporaries. And he wants to talk to us all about what it means to gather around a table with the people we love the most and that we've chosen to have in our lives and what that means and how that changes um, our, our feelings of safety and security.
0: So we have one contemporary novel about Haiti in 1991, another about um, Los Angeles, Houston, and indeed Osaka, another town uh, in in Washington, new novel, Family Meal. Um, And the third contemporary novel is Day, a novel by Michael Cunningham, of course, who is a very distinguished writer. This is about 19... 2019 2020 2021 right up to date is this uh, a novel focusing on on the public or the private sphere uh, Beth
1: well it's mostly on the private sphere so day is a telling title because it's the same day um, for three years in a row um, April 5th 2019. April 5th, 2020, and April 5th, 2021. And you're watching a family in Brooklyn and how the pandemic changes their lives. So one of the things that I I saw written about this was that um, Cunningham is writing about the pandemic, quote unquote, when most fiction writers seem to be ignoring the subject. And I thought, Is that true or is is it that most fiction writers need more time to grapple with it? I think Michael Cunningham, who is really an incredible stylist, but also a very deep and wise thinker. He's 70 years old. He is someone who has put a lot of time um, into this world, but also into his work. And I think that he is able to write this now because he has himself grappled with what the pandemic means. Some other authors may need longer, but I love the fact that one character named Robbie, who is the brother of the female protagonist of the, of the novel is making money and getting himself um, a, a new life with an Instagram um. Account and his name is Wolf. His alter ego was named Wolf, which is Cunningham's way of paying homage to Virginia Woolf, who he wrote in the style of or in homage again to in the hours, his great, great Pulitzer Prize winning book, his novel that was made into a movie with Nicole Kidman. Um, So I think that this is a contemporary novel that has considered the pandemic in a very, very good way. It's powerful. It's about how a time of loss also strengthens bonds of love, but that those bonds can change. They don't always look the same at the end as they did in the beginning.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that Cunningham's 70. I mean, you could live another 30 years, of course. Nice. Um, the other authors may need longer to write um fiction about covid 19 mm-hmm. uh, 2019 2020 2021 uh it does take a brave writer to 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 do a novel about covid given that in a few years we might who knows what's going to happen in the future we might look back at this very differently the the final um the final novel of uh, of this show focuses on something that we've had a while to think about but we still aren't entirely sure what to make of it. The history of American slavery. Mm -hmm. And this book in particular is very intriguing. um, Beth and Jasmine Ward's Let Us Descend. Is this an attempt to, to rethink slavery, American slavery?
1: Not at all. And that's one of the things I think she gets exactly right in it. So, Many readers know Jasmine Ward from her in, incredible, electrifying, and shocking um, it, Mississippi-based trilogy, the Bois Sauvage, Sauvage trilogy. So that was um, Where the Line Bleeds, Salvage the Bones, and Sing, Unburied Sing. Um, if you haven't read any of those, highly, highly recommend. But in this book, Let Us Descend, she goes to North Carolina and we're in the, we're at the height of enslavement. And there's a young woman named Annis who's born into slavery. Her mother is sort of a, an herbalist slash doctor and teaches her a great deal about natural medicine and healing and using herbs and roots, okay? She is in love with another slave, a young slave woman named Safi. Safi is taken away. That's another aspect of the experience, right? Then she encounters um, a woman um, named Mama Aza when she's on a long march uh, away from North Carolina. And it's all about these strands of love and loss that made up the enslavement experience in the United States. It is not about telling us something new about rewriting history. It is about the reality of how tough it could be for one individual. And it's about how that individual could use a lot of wisdom and um, care from family, and ancestors to hold herself up. And here's what I love. Here's one of the lines I love that Anna says, didn't mama say I was my own weapon, that I was always enough to figure a way out. And that is really Ward's point here. Ward wants us to know that indeed uh, Black Americans are, their own weapons and finding their own ways out, and it is—it's a powerful book and one that we've all been waiting for with great, great anticipation.
0: Well, there you have it: eight new novels for the fall season. No excuses now for not reading, particularly on
1: absolutely none
0: lazy Sundays. And I'm going to ask you a particularly unfair question, Bethan, to end you. I'm uh, I'm casting you off to a desert island rather than a disc. You can have one of these books. Which one do you want to take?
1: One of these books. Okay, that's a really tough one. I think I'm going to take. Oh, I'm going to take. Day. By Michael Cunningham.